Clive Staples Lewis, 1898-1962, is a celebrated literary critic, novelist, essayist, and Christian apologist. He's the author of The Chronicles of Narnia, The Space Trilogy, The Screwtape Letters, and numerous essays of apologetics, such as Mere Christianity. An Anglican from Belfast, he spent most of his life in England, teaching medieval and Renaissance literature at Oxford and later Cambridge. Like many of his generation, he served in the front during the First World War, and the experience reinforced his atheism and pessimism. However, as he relates in Surprised by Joy, between 1929 and 1931, he gradually regained his faith, partly thanks to conversations with J.R.R. Tolkien. From then on, his Christian faith increasingly informs his writings. In this interview, Father Michael Ward explains his pick of five books by Lewis and will take us through the author's works. Father Michael Ward is a priest of the Ordinariate of Our Lady of Walsingham. He's a member of the Faculty of Theology and Religion at the University of Oxford, and he's also Professor of Apologetics at Houston Christian University. His books include Planet Narnia, The Seven Heavens in the Imagination of C.S. Lewis, published by Oxford University Press, and After Humanity, A Guide to C.S. Lewis's the Abolition of Man, published by Word and Fire Academic. Father Michael, welcome. Well, Dominic, thank you. What would you add to this opening survey of Lewis's life? Well, <laughs> um, well, you touched on the main features, of course, um, omitting only his marriage, I suppose, that's a fairly significant thing, um, his late marriage, which in a way is how some people know him uh, because of the Shadowlands feature film that was made about that episode in his life. He married an, an, an American woman called Joy Davidman, he married her twice, <laughs> first in a civil ceremony and then in a Christian ceremony. Um, and they had a short happy but tragic three-year marriage uh, and before her cancer um, killed her in 1960 at the age of four, just 45. Um, and it's a it's a beautiful poignant uh, period in Lewis's life and has been beautifully treated by William Nicholson this the screenplay or writer of that Shadowlands feature film um, so yes, that's a fairly notable aspect of his life, which which you didn't mention, but but you only had six sentences, I think. <laughs> and you're a professor of theology and apologetics. What led you to study Lewis and write in it? I've had a lifelong interest in C.S. Lewis. My parents read the Narnia books to me when I was a little boy, and um, I soon, as soon as I could, I got into Lewis's other fiction, The Screwtape Letters, which we'll be talking about, The Great Divorce, uh, and the rest. And then into his Christian apologetics, Mere Christianity, Problem of Pain, and the rest. And then I, I came here to Oxford to do my undergraduate degree in English. And so I began to study some of Lewis's academic writings and uh, did a short undergraduate thesis on Lewis's depictions of evil in his fiction. 
And as a result of that short undergraduate thesis, I was asked to do a bit of lecturing and tutoring on Lewis after I'd graduated. And then a little bit more and a little bit more. And I began to write on Lewis. And then I lived for three years in his in his former house, the Kilns here in Oxford, as a kind of warden looking after that property on behalf of its owner, the C.S. Lewis Foundation. Um, so without really planning it, I, I found that I was developing a career in in C.S. Lewis scholarship. And so when it came time for me to do my PhD, uh, Lewis was the obvious topic to choose, seeing as I was already fairly well acquainted with, with not only the primary literature, but a good deal of the secondary literature too. And um, we'll be talking a, a little bit, I think, about my book, Planet Narnia, um, which came out of my doctoral research. Um, and that that has led to a, just a a deepening and a a, a, a corroborating of, of all that's gone before, so that I I now have a very definite career <laughs> in C.S. Lewis scholarship, which as I say I hadn't planned, um, but which I'm very grateful to have. And if someone asked you, why should I read C.S. Lewis? What would your answer be? He's a great writer. He's uh, an astonishingly varied writer who could who, who mastered any number of different genres, not just fiction, but within fiction, various kinds of fiction, children's literature, most notably, but also science fiction and um, psychological novels, um, or at least one psychological novel. I think Till We Have Faces, which we'll again be talking about, uh, qualifies as that. It's a myth retold, but it's really an investigation of someone's in, interior psychology. That's just his fiction. Then we have all his Christian apologetics, varying from very popular stuff like Mere Christianity, which originated as BBC radio broadcasts, all the way through to uh, f fairly heavy theologizing um, in his book Miracles. Again, we'll be talking about that. And philosophical works like The Abolition of Man. And that's before we've even got to his academic works, which he was you know, paid to write, his professional career in English literature, English, English literary criticism, English literary history, a brilliant essayist and critic. He was a no mean poet either. His poetry is, is probably the least well-known aspect of his output, but, and he'd, he always wanted to be a great poet and published a couple of volumes of poetry early in his career. Um, so that's an aspect of his writings too that people should know about. All of that is to say that he's an immensely varied and interesting writer, just as a stylist and as a you know as a man of letters. And that's before we've actually got to the content of what he says. Um, but he he was a great thinker. He was a great um, intellect and. On top of that, he was a very devout Christian and uh, understood the, the moral life and the spiritual life um, from the perspective of a, of a very devout practicing Christian, um, an Anglican, but a very Catholic friendly Anglican. As you mentioned, he's, his friendship with Tolkien was, was very significant for him. Um, so there's, 
so much to be derived from Lewis, just sheer literary pleasure, uh, in intellectual insight and spiritual depth and formation. And do Lewis's writings help you in your ministry? Oh, yes. I mean, in a way, I think I, I probably can um, attribute my, my Christian, my, my uh, how, how to say it, I don't want to say I became a Christian because of C.S. Lewis. I didn't. Um, I was I was baptized as an infant and raised by my very devout Anglican Christian parents. Um, but I think Lewis, because of his intellectual defence of the faith in his apologetic works, was was very and indeed his imaginative presentation of the faith in his fiction was hugely important for me, especially in my teens um, when I was, as many teenagers are. Uh, beginning to ask questions about the Christian faith. And Lewis, to my mind, had had very satisfactory and interesting answers. Um, so he he helped me stay a Christian and grow as a Christian. And yes, in my ministry, first as an Anglican priest and now latterly as a Catholic priest, I've drawn upon him hugely. I mean, how could I not, having spent so much time immersed in his thought world, um, I, I often find myself, <laughs> as it were, um, almost unwittingly quoting C.S. Lewis or, or channeling Lewis's ideas, and it becomes a little bit of a challenge sometimes um, not to not to quote him in sermons, for instance, or or in um, small group discussions. Um, but often I end up as it were, just sort of paraphrasing Lewis and, and passing it off as my own work, which I suppose is a bit naughty. But I, I know that people can get a bit sick of it if, if uh, their, their pastor, their preacher, their priest uh, is always quoting from the same person, the same source. But that, that can get a bit irritating. So I try to avoid that. The first book that you've selected is also Lewis's best known one, The Line, The Witch and The Wardrobe. With this novel, Lewis kicked off his seven-volume The Chronicles of Narnia, where the central figure is Aslan, Christ incarnated as a lion in this world inhabited by humans and anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic animals. Why does this book top your list? I put it first um, l largely because it's the best known of Lewis's writings. Um, and it's best known possibly because it is the book he was born to write ab above all others, I, I suspect. Um, indeed, he he said about its conception, its composition, that there came a certain age in his life when he felt he must write a fairy tale or burst. And what burst out of him was this Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And I think if you stopped any person in the street and did a sort of word association game with them, you know, and said to them, C.S. Lewis, waiting for something to come back. I think The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe would come back more than any of his other works. Um, so it, it, it's, it must be doing something right, I think, to have achieved such um, fame, such popularity. It's, it's become a sort of canonical work within English children's fiction in the second half of the 20th century. And, and not just with, with among Christians either, but it, it's it's got into the mainstream. Um, and that's because Lewis has 
managed to uh, tell a, a very winning story, a, a classic fairy tale uh, set in set in this imagined kingdom of Narnia, which is accessed through a back of a wardrobe. Um, and, you know, just assessing the lion, the witch and the wardrobe from the purely from a purely literary critical point of view, it's just a very well told tale. It's it's beautifully balanced and economical and it has a sort of inevitability about it. I can understand why Lewis said it burst out of him. It, it seems to have been, as it were, gestating within him most of his life. Um, but, but that's just from the literary point of view. From the the more sort of theological point of view, it's also a, a brilliant retelling of the gospel story. So, as you said, Aslan, the Christ-like character, um, dies and rises as a kind of sacrificial atoning victim for for a boy called Edmund who has betrayed his brother and his sisters. Um, and from one point of view, you might say oh, that's just a fairly obvious allegorization of the gospel story. Um, but it works. It works imaginatively. That's the thing. Uh, Lewis was, above all things, a poet. He hadn't much success with his verse, but he he had poetic gifts of understanding how language worked, how symbol worked. He, he knew how to put metaphors together. Um, he knew how to structure a story. And much of this comes from his own deep immersion in mythology. He was classically trained. He, he, he knew all the myths of ancient Greece and Rome, but also Norse mythology he was fascinated with, uh, mythologies from around the world, really. And he had a particular fascination with myths of dying and rising gods. And one of the things that he, he saw in pagan myths of dying and rising gods is a, is a kind of prefiguration of or a reflection of or a, um, or a refraction from the gospel story of, of the true dying and rising God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, but because Lewis had this great mythological intelligence and background, he was able to shape the story in a way which is is very engaging. It's it's involving. Um, a child of six can appreciate the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, but it's also um, it's also got so much going on in it that adults too can can find it refreshing every time they go back to it. Um, and I think one of the particularly successful poetical strategies that he adopts in the in this story is is his use of the imagery of kingship, particularly as he understood it by means of the symbolism of Jupiter. Um, and that's what my book Planet Narnia is all about. Is your recommendation of the line, the witch in the wardrobe, a case of pars pro toto? I suppose you're recommending it as the gateway into the Chronicles of Narnia as a whole. Yes, um, it is a gateway, and it's, it's certainly the book that people should start with, not The Magician's Nephew, even though publishers rather annoyingly sometimes list that as number one in the series, but it's not number one. The Lion is number one. So, yes, th that's another reason for putting it 
at the top of the list that it's a gateway to the other chronicles. Um, but also, I just think, you know, to come back to this point about it bursting out of Lewis, why did it burst out? Um, there are lots of reasons why it was so significant to him. And indeed, we'll come back to that, I suspect, when we talk about miracles at the end of this interview. Um, but Lewis had a love of the of the seven heavens, the seven planets of the medieval cosmos, and he he described them as spiritual symbols of permanent value. And it's it's my belief that each of the Narnia Chronicles is structured so as to embody the uh, and express the the attributes and the qualities of of one of these seven heavens. Um, they're spiritual symbols of permanent value, Lewis said, which are especially worthwhile in our own generation. And who does not need to be reminded of Jove, of Jupiter? I'm quoting Lewis there. Um, he himself jokingly said in his university lectures that he had been born under Jupiter. Those born under Jupiter are apt to be loud voiced and red faced and jolly, he said. And then he would pause and add, it's obvious under which planet I was born. And a lot of his friends referred, referred to him as jovial, not always understanding that the significance of the term for him. Um, so this jovial quality of kingship, of a particular kind of kingship, tranquil, magnanimous, festive, prosperous, but also sacrificial. Um, that was a, a, a poetic symbol that Lewis particularly valued and, and had done for, for decades before he came to write The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And it's that kingly symbol that, that dominates the structuring of the story. Aslan is the true king. The children become kings and queens themselves as the story progresses. And all sorts of other jovial influences are, are present in the, in the structuring and the adorning of the story. Um, that's Lewis's imaginative blueprint behind this this great work, um, and each of the other six Narnia Chronicles uh, follows in its train, uh, taking as its own imaginative blueprint uh, the qualities of of one of the other of the seven heavens. And this is what you explain in your book, Planet Narnia. Could you explain how each of the other six novels maps on to the seven heavens? Prince Caspian, the second book in the in the septet, is Lewis's Mars book. It's full of military events and battles, and but also woods and forests, because that was an important part of the of the martial symbolism as it was understood by the Romans. Um, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader is the Sun book, full of light and gold. The Silver Chair is the Moon book. Silver there in the title is a bit of a giveaway. That's a story about wetness and wanderings and indeed lunacy. Some of just some of the qualities of the moon. The horse and his boy is the Mercury story. Which is dominated by questions of language and speed and theft and boxing and twins and a very, very various collection of attributes. Uh, assembled under the mercurial heading. Um, the magician's nephew is the Venus book, Venus being associated with creativity. And this is the story in which Narnia is brought to birth. 
the last battle is the Saturn story, because Saturn was associated with with the last things, with death and judgment. And that's the story in which Narnia uh, comes to an end. And and the new the new Narnia, the, the kind of the new heavens and the new earth are, are brought to bear. Um, so that's just a, a very quick thumbnail sketch of, of each of the chronicles and how they connect to their respective planet. But the important thing is, theologically, that Aslan, the Christ character, embodies in his own person, you might even say incarnates, the qualities of, of the presiding planet. Um, because Lewis is using this planetary imagery in a Christian sense. He's exploiting it, he's, he's turning it to Christian ends. Um, the heavens are telling the glory of God, after all, according to Psalm 19, Lewis's favourite psalm. And so Aslan becomes, under Jupiter, the king of kings. Under Mars, he's the lord of hosts, mighty in battle. Under the symbolism of the sun, he's the light of the world. Under the symbolism of Mercury, he's the word of God. And so on and so forth, seven times over. So all this planetary imagery is entirely consistent with biblical theology. Um, it's not like you know, the chronicles are somehow uh, are subtly um, trying to smuggle in uh, pagan astrology. That that's it's 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 baptized astrology, as Lewis called it. It's it's using uh, the heavens that are telling the glory of God uh, to tell the glory of God in this very ingenious literary fashion. Um, and that's what I discovered when I was halfway through my PhD. And it's a, it's a beautiful discovery, I think. It really helps explain the otherwise puzzling oddities that you find both within each of the chronicles and across the series as a whole. But when you come at it from this planetary point of view, um, you can see Lewis's great imaginative skill and subtlety. Um, and that's what Planet Nana is all about. For your second book, we pass from Aslan, King of Heavens, to A Prince of Darkness. <laughs> Screwtape's letters, a novel written epistolary style, where Screwtape tutors his inexperienced nephew, Wormwood, in the satanic arts of temptation. Meanwhile, Lewis teaches the reader about the wiles of the enemy and the ways of the spirit. Why is this book your, your number two? I think after The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the Screwtape letters is, is probably Lewis's best book that is to say it's it's the book that is going to last the longest um and and also have a very wide readership because it's brilliantly witty it's it's an exploration of the psychology of temptation um and it has a lot of moral and spiritual insight but but also a great amount of just psychological insight it, it's it's it, it demonstrates lewis's skills as an as as a novelist you know the the observational powers that he had um as a as a writer um obse observing our various hypocrisies and compromises and peccadilloes that we think we can get away with but which the devils the demons exploit to their own nefarious ends um but because it's told from the point of view of the of the demons Screwtape is the senior devil writing to his nephew wormwood a junior devil giving him advice about how to ensnare a human soul because it's all done from that perspective and all the ups are down and all the blacks are white and all the fronts are back and so on it's all it's all reversed it's all 
um, RC Versi, um, Lewis can get away with, with, as it were, presenting a great deal of uh, a fairly <laughs> standard um, moral teaching, which might otherwise come across as as platitudinous, but because it's it's presented so wittily, we accept it. We in, even enjoy it. We laugh at ourselves. Not we don't just laugh at the demons, but we laugh at ourselves at falling for the stratagems of these of these wicked creatures. Um, in other words, Lewis, as it were, puts a, a, a rim of honey around the, the medicine glass um, and we, we swallow the medicine, hardly realizing that it's doing us any good. But but I think it is. It does a great deal of good. It certainly does me a lot of good. And I, I try to read Screwtape Letters about once a year, especially during Lent, because um, it's a it's a very good m- moral mouthwash, as it were. Um, it's just a, a, a fantastically spirited book. <laughs> uh, and I, I mean that in every sense of the word. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview and gain full access to our archive, visit fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way, more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes. As little as one dollar, one pound or one Europe can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again and God bless.